This is a slight re-edit of the original release of this episode, which contained at the beginning of the podcast a bit too much crisp eating, which as a novice podcaster I didn't realise was quite as appalling uh, as it turned out to be, because I was being videoed as well. So it would be quite nice to be sitting back, relaxing, eating some crisps. As a purely aural experience, though, it's an assault on the sensibilities. So I've snipped that from the front. It does mean there might be the odd crunch uh, during this episode, but nothing like as bad as there was in the original. And I think it's just about bearable. But apologies nonetheless. But uh, I've tried to do a little bit of surgery. So enjoy and sorry. And I'll never do it again. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydoke, watch a Doctor Who story chosen by a friend of mine. My friend, in secret, chooses their favourite things about each episode, and then I have to watch, commentate positively, and guess what those favourite things might be. Hello, Toby. My name's Alex Moore, and I work in locations for both TV and film. You can find me on Twitter at AlexMoore99. The story that I have chosen is The Time Monster. I'm on episode selection, so I'm going to press enter. You could press play, or you could just listen, and hopefully I am so eloquent and my observation so astute that you can just picture what's going on in your head. Anyway, if you have the episode in front of you, three, two, one, pow. Look at that. It's the time monster, which uh, I have. I don't have it on my shelf in the box, although I do have the box somewhere because I can't throw anything away that's to do with Doctor Who. It was part of the Myths and Legends box set. So also Horns of Nymon and Underworld. What a triumvirate. Um, the Myths and Legends box set. Uh, which, I, um, which is... Um, it's, I've never seen such an incredible bunch, Patrick Trout would say, if he'd seen them <laughs> stuck together. Anyway, um, it's not the uh, it's not the silliest of <laughs> Doctor Who um, box sets that were done. Um, I'm looking at you, Earth Story. Um, anyway, um, we're on to episode four which is where i suppose the story is going to start going to robert sloman of course he was a he was a he had a proper job he was distribution manager for the sunday times but he he did have plays on didn't he um and he was supposed to i think write a dalek story for this season but then the daleks were shoved into day of the daleks which hadn't been a dalek story i wonder what daleks in london was like that was what robert sloman's original storyline was supposed to be um so did this instead and and of course yeah yeah but you're gonna call him mike in a minute oh no i think i did say didn't i last episode i think it's i think it's they don't yeah they don't have my favorite bit from episode three they don't even put in episode four so it's a good job i chose it last week um and of course Atlantis, I don't think of Atlantis as being in the past, really. Oh, it's quite badly. Oh. Now, uh, he used to be in Unit uh, and knows car accidents, this farmer. It's George Lee, uh, 
who is Corporal Forbes in Spearhead from Space. He's not the American actor George Lee, as the Internet Movie Database would have it. Um, and please don't write in and go, but IMDb says. Um, IMDb is not flawless. In fact, it is anything but flawless. Uh, basically, if, if something has an actor in one thing, playing, say, a small part in a... In a, in a in a in a British TV thing, and then the same month has them playing a big part in an American film. I'm not saying George Lee did this. Um, they're probably not the same person. People having the same name is more likely than somebody having a career that doesn't tally. If you know somebody was in something in 1958 and then 2002, it's probably not the same person. But you wouldn't believe how many people write to me and and say that they might be. <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, I, I have mentioned that quite a lot of this cast I've never found I, I have tried typing their names into Google I do get that quite a lot when I go I've never find that found that person and I've been through births marriages and deaths all sorts of things who go I've googled them is it them you go yeah, I, d I did think to do that because I have used the internet before <laughs> anyway um, so I, I, I think there's a sitcom to be had with 70s hair was a thing wasn't it i suppose i mean i that's the advantage of never i've never been in fashion so i look back on old photographs of myself i look awful anyway because uh, i didn't know i've never taken much care of my appearance i'm sure if i look back on this i'm never watching this if i look back on this two years come i go why didn't i brush my hair because at the time i didn't care um and it's funny because i see friends now actors you know who uh, you know, make themselves look nice before somebody takes a photo or whatever. And I, I think maybe, maybe I could have, yeah, put myself about a bit more effectively had I taken care of it. Because you know, it is a visual medium. People do like to look at people who look nice. Oh, it's the new TARDIS, um, which designed by Tim Gleeson and used for the interior of the Master's TARDIS and the Doctor's TARDIS. And the roundels, a big old washing up, but it's too, how old have I got? Because I, I go, oh, it's the washing up bowl TARDIS. And then I go, a bowl that size would be really useful. You could make industrial amounts of scones in one of them. Um, Barry Letts didn't like it, and it apparently got damaged, uh, which is why it was... I like the central column, actually. I like that. Um, and so it was never used again. So that's quite an expense, isn't it, to have a new TARDIS interior that it ends up being used once. Because, uh, yeah, because it was damaged in between seasons. <laughs> Barry Letts walked past it accidentally with a sledgehammer. And oh, oh, dear. Poor little TARDIS interior. It's taken a little tumble. Oh, what a shame. Something's happened to its pretty little roundels. <laughs> um, but, of course, I don't think of Atlantis as the, as the past. But it is, isn't it? it, it you know, it's, although Atlantis is a fictional place, the idea is that we're going back in time to a time when Atlantis existed, which is, it's, it's a first trip back in. I mean, I suppose the War Games. Yes, I know it was on an alien planet, but the War Games was was uh, in different war times, even though they were only. Uh, stagings of those to all intents and purposes the visual iconography and the characters are all characters from the past but apart from that abominable snowmen yeah abominable snowmen war games so that's quite a that's quite a long time for the doctor not to travel back in time i know obviously the pertwee era he's 
you know, he's exiled to the 20th century, but 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 Troughton haven't gone back in time that much either. Um, which is odd, because I, I, the BBC does back in time very well, um, and the stuff that I've talked to that talked about that I like of the the incongruity of of past and the past is more frightening than the future. A cobweb is scarier than a laser beam. Um, and you know when science fiction is scary, like Alien, it is sort of that's a haunted house, basically, isn't it? Um, they use the tropes of horror. Um, so I think the past, because the past is a window to a place where everyone's dead, frankly, and that reminds us of our own mortality. Looking at people so alive, look at Pertwee glittering like a tall light bulb, as Tom Baker would say. Uh, Londoners. <laughs> yes, because I'm from the country. Of course, all country people would look at a materialising police box and blame it on being folk from the city. <laughs> Poor old George Lee, he gets some stick in the... Uh, he's in a couple of episodes of Faulty Towers, there's different characters. But there's one where he drops off a, a statue, I think, and it's quite rude to Manuel. And it's either John Howard Davis or Bob Spears. I can't remember which which... Uh, episode commentator it is is very i love the fact Stuart hyde's got a spanner because <laughs> you could do that in those days you could whack somebody over the back of the head or or in between the shoulders and render them unconscious which of course is an imitatable thing but being hit on the head or being stabbed was seen as a as a lesser sort of killing in those days now of course with knife crime and assaults of that age that would be really dodgy to have but for some reason thwacking somebody on the head which could cause serious concussion was a sort of acceptable children's tea time action. Um, yeah, George Lee, um, whoever it was, is, is quite rude about his performance in Faulty Towers on that commentary. I just remember that, which is a shame. Uh, he's he's playing a sort of in Faulty Towers. He's playing a yeah, sort of grumpy, grumpy delivery man, and he's not doing anything especially wrong, I don't think. But. Um, And he's quite fun as the farmer, and I like him as Corporal Forbes. Um, oh, so the Doctor doesn't have the same central column as the Master. Right, so it's just the walls that are... that are repeated. Tim Gleeson, who also designed Colony in Space. I've never had the pleasure, but I did, I did have an address for him, and I put... Graham Kibble White had touched them, I think, and so he's done an interview, which is good. I don't think we got him on any of the DVDs, though, and he's still around. So that's I'm I'm organising a time monster commentary for the Blu-ray <laughs> out loud, <laughs> even though it's not on the cards, as far as I know. I'm the last to know anything, um, but it's certainly possible. The, the The lobby starts here. Let's let's have a let's have a new commentary for the time monster. Um, with some of the cast and crew. Uh, oh, it's 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 Legopolis Mark One, <laughs> Tardis within a Tardis. Uh, it's a bit of a fun paradox. I mean, it's silly, isn't it? It's nonsense, but it's okay. Um, 
they've got great rapport, haven't they? I don't, I don't speak about that. I'm very much in danger of taking the regulars for granted. I loved when I first saw the Curse of Peladon as part of a thing called Doctor Who and the Monsters, which was um, repeats, two episodes edited together, so 50, two 50-minute instalments. The Curse of Peladon, and I saw Joe Grant for the first time. I wrote TH for KM on my exercise book. I fell in love with Katie Manning. Uh, I've since had the pleasure of meeting her, of course. And uh, how could you not love Katie Manning? She's ace. Mm. Oh, and of course, this is the... I mentioned in the beginning, this is the last episode to feature all of the unit family. Because, of course, Mike Yates isn't in episode six. Benton is. Uh, and the master in Frontier in Space doesn't have the the, the, the Brigadier in Yates and Benton. So this is the this is the, the end of uh, the unit family in the Pertwee. Oh, and a nice nice call nice callback. I love I love the sort of there's a slight intense affrontery there to uh, uh, Roger Delgado and um uh, John Levine's great at the tough stuff. Oh, I love that door. That's not the sort of flappy open door. It's a sort of pull-shut door. Oh, I really like that. I, I do hope my favourite thing in this episode isn't a door. Um, but let's see. Um, I think this episode... Is this episode the one that's not got... The original intended cliffhanger. That happens a few times with Barry Letts Roberts. We're seeing as Barry Letts was the producer. Because that happens with Planet of Spiders, episode five. Four and five. Oh, but, but that's partially because of some bad CSO. Oh, this coccyx stuff is... Uh... I remember having to... I thought it was coccyx. I had to ask my mother how to pronounce it. Tailbone. Don't think anybody talk about coccyxes anymore. I would like... I would quite like these lot to have their own spin-off. They're like a prototype Torchwood. <laughs> They're the 70s Torchwood. That was a missed opportunity. Because they've had stuff where they've had sort of Torchwoods from the past, haven't they? Stuart Hyde, Ruth Ingram and Sergeant Benton as... 70s Torchwood would be fantastic. Oh, you see, scratch a feminist and there's a somebody who uses the phrase old women in a pejorative way. Ah, Ruth, you bad feminist. Um, it'd be great to have... Can you imagine Ruth Ingram? Charging around, solving alien invasions, whilst ticking people off for their masculinity. I we shall bring back a alien, bring down alien invasions and the patriarchy at the same time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe she's not really a. Feminist. Maybe she's just spent so long working with Stuart that she thinks all men are a bit useless. Uh, who knows? But she's she's good. Wonder Moore's good. Um, 
Oh dear, but the Brigadier's still stuck on... It's obviously somebody's pressed the pause button there, but that's okay. Um... Oh, and yes, I was thinking about Robert Sloman because the Guy Leopold thing with the demons, he's got a son called Guy, and Barry's middle name is Leopold. So that's that's certainly an element of Guy Leopold, but it could be that... It could be that I haven't got my stuff there. It could be that Robert Sloan's son's called Guy because his own dad was called Guy. I don't know. But of course it was the... It was Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln who used fathers-in-law, I think, to, to do Norman Ashby for the for the Dominators. So I might be confusing my nom de plumes. But certainly get Barry is Barry Leopold Letts and Robert Sloman's son is called Guy. So that's at least a partial explanation for Guy Leopold. But obviously by this point... Barry Letts, very magnanimous man, um, just went, oh, you can get the credit, doesn't matter. I'm doing everything else. <laughs> oh, it's so sad to think how... Oh, dear, what a poor fellow he is. <laughs> he is so charming, isn't he? He is... It's funny because I'd seen... So much of Doctor Who when I when you revisited as a kid, or, or, or when you saw it for the first time, was not quite what you imagined. And of course, I'd only seen photos of Roger Delgado. Um, and I remember, you know, reading the unit books, and I thought Mike Yates was like a really tough guy, and 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 he's not, um, you know. And I thought some of the the battles were, you know, you know, much more impressive than perhaps they were, and certainly some of the monsters. But I remember the first time I saw Roger Delgado, and just going, oh, he's just He's as good as I thought. He's sometimes better than I thought. He's 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 been one one of the things that has uh, has sort of exceeded my expectations, where my imagination, my imaginary forces couldn't quite conjure how good he is. I mean, he doesn't have a duff moment. I know people talk about the bit where he begs for the the doctors for his life at the end of this. People say that's not very good, but um, I shall keep an eye out. I think they might be wrong. Um, but he's great, isn't he? He's great. Um, so sad. Tom Tit. I mean, I'm Tom Tit. Really? <laughs> but yeah, they've got a great dynamic, these guys. Um, so yeah, Rob, Robert Sloman. Also, I, I think he's... Um, I was thinking, I haven't, I haven't done it because it ended up not being very interesting, but Robert Sloman... Had an interest in boats and did a lot of sailing later in life, as did, as does um, Michael Bryant. Uh, it's almost a shame that Sloman never wrote something uh, Bryant directed because uh, that was sea based. Uh, because Michael Bryant is a great man of the sea. And of course, Patrick Troughton was at sea during the Second World War, I ha as was John Pertwee. John Pertwee was in the Navy as well. Oh, this is a great effect. I don't know. It's obviously quite a simple one, but it works really well, that, that blackening of Benton. And it's quite grim because if it weren't for the sort of slightly zinky, zonky music, you could you could play that as though something really serious has happened to, to Benton, which, of course, it hasn't. Instead, uh, you get a bit I love. But does it count for this episode... Or does it count 
is Baby Benton. Oh, Darren Plant, who I remember um, thinking John Levine, bless him, was on a flight of fancy because I think he mentions in the in the commentary because oh he did a bit of commentary for this this episode as well did he maybe or just mentioned it in the the, the episode that he does that um, the baby sadly died before the before the year was out um which i i'd I'd never heard and then i did some checking and yes sadly he did baby benton darren plant um did sadly pass away uh but john being john bless him i i think says something in the commentary like but it but at least he ended up being in Doctor Who, which I, I sort of know what he made. He was trying to sort of make something nice about and the fact that, you know, he's immortalised and all of that sort of thing. But it it, it, uh, it, 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 it also out of context, it, it, it has a certain amount of bathos about it. Um, how sad. Yeah, I'm. I'm like. I'm like the kid in the sixth sense, aren't I? What do you do, Toby? I largely watch television and point out who's dead. Because I remember there being a very good sketch in um, the Mary Whitehouse experience of people. It's things people do when watching television. Number 174, Dad's Army, and it's a dead, dead. He's dead. That one died first, which is very. Which and that's what we used to do when we watched Dad's Army. My mum used to go, yeah, he's a, and it get to Jimmy Beck. He'd go, yeah, he died first. He was one of the youngest. Uh, and then I remember some people thought that Ian Lavender was dead, and I remember saying to my friend Oliver's mum, no, he's definitely not. Oh, I thought he died first. No, Jimmy Beck died first. Walker died first. Ian Lavender's still alive, you know. Um, but of course, it's you know, it's less of a less and less of a thing to comment on as 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 time goes by now. Uh, all three of these gentlemen are dead. Gosh, and two of them died in car accidents. Roger Delgado and Donald Eccles. Oh, I was talking about Donald Eccles last night. I never get. He's got a great line in Quatermass, the Quatermass, Quatermass. It's called. It's also known as the Quatermass Conclusion, where he plays an old chemist who, uh, uh, and they're using him because he can identify smells, and the aliens are taking traces of humanity, and and. Uh, uh, and he has a great thing about the musk deer where, you know, we take just a trace of it for the smell and, and, and all we need is a, is, a, is a, you know, a tiny trace of this animal to highlight that smell and the rest of it is sort of waste, as it were. Um, and that's what the aliens are doing to us in Quatermass 4 or whatever you want to call it. Um, so they get this old chemist who's living in a, in a knackered car um, and he identifies the smell. He goes, uh, yes... The first girl I ever lay with after 74 years. <laughs> now, this was supposed to be the episode ending. And that would have been a cracking episode ending. The Doctor has been eaten by the giant budgerigar of time. Uh, who I still maintain is a pretty good design. Uh, and of course it's going to squawk. It's a time budgerigar. Um... Uh, but yeah, that was supposed to be the episode ending, but it's but it's uh, underrun a bit. I mean, the master is very charming, but he is prepared to kill Joe, uh, which is which is pretty grim. 
<laughs> oh, he's so good. He's he's he does sadism with such charm. I think Donald Eccles is back again. I've worked with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I've worked with some of the leading classical actors. I've played some of the great classical parts myself. And I'm standing in a wig in front of some washing up bowls. Watching John Pertwee getting eaten by a space budgerigar. <laughs> so this should be episode five, but it's not. It's, it's episode four. But, uh, oh, I love a spinning TARDIS model shot. Uh... Uh, and that's that's a very as contrived episode endings go that's pretty good uh should be the master um i quite enjoyed that i get a bit i get a bit maudlin i get a bit um morbid sometimes don't i uh anyway right um what was my favorite bit of that episode well i'm gonna say i like Kronos. I like the design, the filming out of focus, the, the squawking, that thing of him going in and coming out of the crystal. I like Kronos the Cronivore. I think he's great. What does Alex think was the best thing about episode four? My best thing about episode four is the Doctor and the Master's exchange in the TARDIS. This felt so much like something out of The Curse of Fatal Death, but I think it's brilliant. It shows how well the two characters know each other and how they wind each other up, as well as trying to thwart each other's plans. Who doesn't want to hear John Pertwee talk backwards? <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear John Pertwee talk backwards? Nicely put. And Delgado and Pertwee have a great dynamic. And I understand that some people say it gets a bit cosy, but do you know what? Family-friendly tea time entertainment sometimes in front of a fire with boiled eggs and soldiers well if you can't be cozy then when can you be um yeah good choice but i chose i played Macronos joker which i'm hoping i won't regret in episodes five and six when we get to atlantis where i fear pickings may be slim um anyway um i'm still in my pajamas at quarter past five it's one of those days hope yours is better uh, uh, or has at least been made better by this. <laughs> I can't imagine why, but just in case, hooray! Okay, keep on trucking, and uh, goodbye, Miss Grant. Goodbye till the next time, or forever, which, which, whichever comes first. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest this time around is Alex Moore, who can be found on Twitter at AlexMoore99, more with an E on the end. Thanks to this episode's featured patrons, Paul Carrington, Andy Case, John Curley, Rob Dawson, Ian Gillespie, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, Andrew Jordan, Guy Lambert, David Matthewman, Stuart Mitchell, Nathan Moore, Melvin Pena and John Rivers. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson.
If you would like to support these broadcasts, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Toby You get advanced releases there and special exclusive material. If you can only manage or are only inclined to do a one-off payment, that is equally welcome and thank you. Please do that at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby No bonuses there, bar my eternal thanks. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel and follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydoke or these podcasts specifically at Haydoke Podcasts. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. (laughs) 